Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. I'm Dave Lorenzo, and today we're talking about how you can live your best life. That's right. This is the podcast that is going to help you meet Jesus. And No, this is not that podcast. If you're looking for that, you're in the wrong place, because today we're talking about divorce and finding the money that lousy spouse is hiding from you. That's right. This is the show you've been waiting for. So you're listening to this with your headphones on and you're glaring at your spouse across the room and you just know that he or she has stashed away a pile of cash somewhere and you don't know how you're going to find it. You can't believe you made it through the pandemic with this lousy person and now you don't know where the money is. So you don't want to get divorced yet. Well, have no fear. Your freedom is just a phone call away because today my guest is going to help you find that cash and then you can liberate yourself to make really bad decisions with somebody else, but you can take your spouse's money with you. I want to introduce you to my friend Tracy Conan and she's going to help us find the money that that lousy spouse is hiding from you. Please join me in welcoming Tracy to the Inside BS Show. Tracy, welcome. Let's find some money. That was the most enthusiastic introduction I have ever had on a podcast. So thank you, Dave. Uh, it's my pleasure. I can't wait to hear how lousy spouses hide money and how we can find it. So before we get to that, I want you to tell us, were you like the little kid who like hit around the corner and watched what the other kids did? And when they stashed like their candy, you went around the corner and found it and gave the candy to everybody else and said, you see, I told you I could find it. How did you get into this in the first place? Was was it like a thing you had when you were growing up? Yeah, it wasn't quite like that. I was an avid reader of Encyclopedia Brown books. So I liked the little kid mysteries kind of thing and, and you know, putting together that puzzle, figuring things out. And so when I uh, was going off to college, I decided that I wanted to be a criminology major. And my goal was to become a prison warden because I have a fascination with the prison system and and the social constructs there and all that kind of stuff. And so that was where my career path was headed. But my sophomore year, I took a class called Financial Crime Investigations, and I was hooked on the whole forensic accounting thing. So I sort of, uh, you know, pivoted just a little bit. I continued in my criminology degree, but I started taking accounting and economics classes so I could get the number side of the education. All right. So you decide you're going to be a forensic accountant and you, I would imagine you did like corporate stuff, right? Were you, were you handling corporate fraud cases and looking for money in big companies and that sort of thing? I mean, give us the evolution of how, how you got to be the, the sleuth who finds the divorce cash. So I started out as a traditional financial statement auditor at Arthur Anderson way back in the mid nineties and worked there for a couple of years and then went to a forensic accounting firm for a couple of years and then started my own 22 years ago. And so, yes, uh, my work did and does involve looking for fraud in big companies, typically looking for executives stealing money. It can be big companies. It can be small. Uh, but I also, uh, a portion of my work, about a third of my caseload is related to divorce. Okay. So I got to ask you this because I know, I know how I would answer this question. What's more fun, finding corporate executive stealing or finding money that a spouse thought he or she was super slick and hid. What's what's more fun for you? Yes. <laughs> so both of them, you like both of them. They're both, right, they're both fun and they both have their, you know, intricacies to them. 
Um, the more complicated the scheme, the more interesting it is in some ways. But yes, there is that aha moment in the divorces that even though may, they may not be as complicated, you know, being able to help the spouse who was going to be cheated out of money is uh, very fulfilling from that standpoint. Um, but it's also fun. So who um, who is I'm going to ask you two questions that are that are uh, flip sides of the same coin. So who is more creative at hiding money from other people? Is it is it the corporate executive or is it the is it the uh, slimy spouse? I'd say the corporate executive because they have more experience just uh, working with numbers, working with different scenarios. And so they're a little more crafty that way. I would say in divorce, it's more, uh, you know, it's amateur time. All right. And then that's for the, the second part. So that's the other side, right? The other side is who's dumber? Who makes the dumbest mistakes? Is it the corporate executive or is it the slimy spouse? It, it, it ends up being both because here's what happens. Inevitably, a mistake is made. And so, you know, we figure it out. You know, I, I think back to the divorce case where uh, we had the couple residing in Illinois. I'm going through all their finances, looking at all the money, trying to figure out what they were spending their money on. And up pops a check to a utility company in Arizona. And so I say to the wife, hey, what, what were you paying with this? And the answer I was expecting was, oh, my in-laws live in Arizona and we covered their bill one month or something silly like that, right? And she's like, we got nothing in Arizona. I don't know why a check would be written there. As it turns out, her husband had a property there. We call it a rental property. Now, don't ask me who was living in it, but we call it a rental property. And he had a separate bank account that the wife didn't know about that he normally paid all the bills for the rental property out of. Uh, but in this case, he made the mistake of writing the check out of the wrong account. And so we found the rental property and were able to uh, bring it into the divorce and make sure that she got a piece of that. Oh, man. Uh, you know, it's amazing how the the things you do, you know, he, the guy was probably like late for a flight or something and was like, oh, my gosh, I got to pay this bill and grab the wrong checkbook. And the next thing you know, he's getting nailed. Um, so when you, when you start a matter, right. And whether it's a divorce matter or a, a corporate matter, when you start the matter, where, where do you start? What's the first thing? Like if we're sitting down and I'm like, Tracy, we got a, like, a, let's say at a company and then we'll do divorce after. So I say, Tracy, I'm the general counsel of a company. Tracy, I, I think something funny's going on here. What's the first thing you ask me for? The first thing I ask you for is what have you seen that makes you suspicious, Right. Because in some cases, there is a situation where they have some very specific acts that have already happened. We found a check that was paid to a party that should not have been paid or, or something specific. Or we got a tip from a supplier of ours that one of our employees uh, was looking for a kickback, right? So do you have something specific or do you have something very general? So that's the first question I come with for you. Um, because then I can start to tailor what my approach would be to the case. Okay. Now... Back in the old days, when I was uh, when I was when I had a lot of employees and I I ran a hospitality business, our biggest fear, our biggest concern was like straw vendors, right? Somebody sets up their brother-in-law sets up a company and they start paying invoices to their brother-in-law's company. So you know we we were on top of that and we made sure that we vetted every vendor and we checked every vendor. Meanwhile. While we're checking that, they come up with some other crazy scheme where they're where they're siphoning off money. So like everybody knows about the straw vendor or the the no show employee on the books type of thing. What are some of the common corporate ways that people commit fraud, that people steal from big companies? There's, of course, all sorts of inventory schemes that could go on. 
There is simply the theft of, uh, you know, customer payments. All of those things happen more on the everyman kind of level, right? At the maybe middle management kind of level. When you move up the ranks to the executives, that's where you're getting into the financial statement fraud where they are, you know, um, maybe booking sales that didn't actually occur because it's going to affect their year-end bonus or things like that. Or if it's a public company, they're booking these sales that didn't occur because they know Wall Street is looking to them to have an increase in revenues this year, a certain percentage over last year, and they've got to juice the numbers a little bit. Mm. Now, let's shift gears with uh, with the the divorce and the spouse. So, help people understand. You and I, you and I know how it works. That you 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 have to be hired pretty much by the attorney, right? So, attorney client privilege is attached. Explains explain how a typical engagement goes when there's a couple and they're getting divorced. Do you get the first phone call from one spouse's attorney, or does the person contact you directly and you say, "Hey, let's go through the attorney"? How does that work? Most of the time, I'm co- uh, I'm contacted directly by the attorney. Um, that's where I market is to attorneys. And so that's why that's most common. There are times where the clients call me. There's usually one or two reasons why the client is calling me. The first is that they're a really good on top of a client who who are really great to work with. And the attorney says, hey, I trust you. We need an expert. Go find one. Um that's not all that common. The more common reason a client might call me is because they're kind of going rogue and they're trying to save some attorney's fees. Well, I don't want my attorney making these calls or my attorney said we don't need a forensic accountant, but I think we do. So I'm going to make the phone call. Um, those situations are a little bit more difficult because I'm always bringing back around saying, OK, our next conversation is between you, me and the attorney, because I have to know from your attorney exactly what your attorney feels the issues are what your attorney thinks uh, we can do with these issues in court. You know, there's cases that come to me where someone says, well, I think this is happening and this money is missing. And I need the attorney to tell me, is there any recourse? If that's true, what will the recourse be in a court of law? Unfortunately, there are times where, you know, I'll maybe have a one-on-one conversation with the attorney as the next step. And the attorney will say, yeah, we've been over this. There might be some money missing, but maybe it's not enough to make it worthwhile to spend the funds on a forensic accountant, or there might be money missing, but here are some reasons why we'll never get it back. And so I've advised the client that it doesn't pay to try to chase it down, things like that. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. Uh, how often does the client uh, get emotional and want to go after the money just out of spite? And then I guess when the legal fees rack up, the spite goes away, right? How often does that happen? <laughs> I mean, that happens often enough. But here's the thing is I always have to step back and not assume that it's spite. There are some cases, in fact, uh, last week, I talked to two different potential clients who were in the middle of di- a divorce, listened to their stories and said almost the same thing to both of them. Do you feel you need to go forward th- with this in order to have peace of mind that you know what happened? If I do all this work and ultimately find either that there wasn't any missing money or that for some reason you're never going to get a dime of it back, would you still feel okay spending this money? And they both said, oh gosh, yes, I need to know if there's money missing or not. And I'm willing to spend some money to find that out because I don't think I can settle my divorce otherwise. Now, talk about uh, getting the disclosure you need, right? Uh, Is it because, because the, so if the accounts were joint accounts, then the spouse who engages you, whether it's through their attorney or not, that that person has access to those records. How often do you need the attorney to to go to the court and, and get a subpoena to get the stuff that you need? I would say most cases there are subpoenas because, 
even if there are joint accounts, there are also oftentimes individual accounts that we then don't have access to. So we'll need to subpoena those. Or if we don't know about individual accounts, but think that there might be, uh, an attorney might say, okay, we think we've got all the accounts from JP Morgan Chase, but in the event that he has an account in his name that we don't know about, let's go ahead and send a subpoena there anyway, asking them for all accounts in his name. So then the spouse has to fill out an affidavit, which is a sworn document, right? Which th- details all of their financial information. What's the penalty, Tracy, if they leave an account off? You know, the unfortunate thing in divorce is there isn't usually much of a penalty for leaving an account off. If I find an account that wasn't disclosed by the husband, you know, he's going to say, oopsie, and then the court's going to say, okay, well, now we got to bring that account into the mix and make sure that that's divided equitably or, or however the laws of the state say. And, and that's the unfortunate thing is in divorce, there usually isn't much of a penalty other than a tiny little slap on the wrist. Oh, you should have included that account. Yeah. I mean, the, the judge is not going to be happy if there's an account that was not disclosed and the judge is going to have a, uh, have a stern talking to, shall we say, with that person's attorney. And if there are multiple accounts, I guess there could be there could be sanctions against the attorney, although it would be hard to hold the attorney accountable if his if his client is not forthright with him. He could probably resign. But I mean, there's not a lot that can be that can be done there. Um, Tracy, talk about what happens then if you get him dead to rights. Do you then have to go to court and testify? And how does that work? I do testify in court. What typically happens first is I do my work, I issue an expert report that gives all of my findings and you know a summary of the work that I did, and then typically the other side will take my deposition, which means we all sit in a conference room, uh, both of the sides of attorneys, me, a court reporter, and they ask me questions almost like I was in a courtroom except for there's no judge there. And so they get me, quote, on the record and you know record my answer so that I can't later change my answer about something. And so, you know, the other side's attorney will go through all these questions to get more clarity on what I did and what my opinions are, Um, not just to get clarity, but also probably to try to trip me up or trick me into giving a bad answer or wrong answer or something like that. And then go ahead. You were going to ask. No, no, no. Go ahead. Um, So after the deposition is done, then the case kind of winds its way through the legal process, and most of the time the divorces are settled, you know, without a need for a trial. But if they do get to a trial in front of the judge, then I would go testify there as well. Well, so you're, um, you're, you've gone through everything. They take your deposition, and that's the point where they settle because they're like, well, they found everything, right? So they're like, okay, we gotta, we gotta, you know, we we gotta get this, we gotta get this handled. What? What happens first? Does the does the attorney that that you're working with, your side, does that attorney call over and say, listen, I'm going to submit my expert report for the record and you're not going to like it because we found everything. And I mean everything. Do you want to talk about settling before I submit this report for the record or do they just submit the report, hit him in the mouth with it and then say, here's what we got? you know, do you want to settle? Um, How does that generally work? What is that conversation like? I'm going to give you such a lawyer answer to this. It depends. All right. What does it depend on? It's a strategy decision on the part of the attorney, right? It probably has to do with what their strategy is, how well the sides have been getting along, 
whether the attorney thinks there is an advantage by doing it one way versus the other, right? If everyone has been playing nicely for the most part, other than these little hidden accounts, uh, but if everyone has been fairly cooperative otherwise in the process, maybe it's a better strategy to go directly to the attorney and say, hey, we found some things versus, you know, going into court and, and slapping them with it. Yeah. We're talking with Tracy Conan. She's a forensic accountant. She's got a brand new guide out for you. You can find it at divorcemoneyguide.com, divorcemoneyguide.com. We're going to put that website in the show notes. If you want to call her, she loves phone calls. Give her a call today, 312-498-3661, 312-498-3661. So Tracy, when, when you're giving advice to your friends who are about to get married, what do you tell them to do with their finances? Do you, do you give them advice in advance of a, of a wedding and, and what advice would you give them? Dave, it's almost as if you're clairvoyant because I have just started working on the marriage money guide ah, to do exactly right. that. Right. So I worked on this divorce money guide and, and in the process of working on it, I was like, wait a second, we got to sort of flip this and we got to go back in time. If you were getting married, what would you have told people? And so, you know, really... There's obviously different ways you can handle your finances once you get married. You can combine finances. You could keep them completely separate, or you could do sort of a combination of the two. And so the advice I'm going to give is, is going to depend on which way you're choosing to do things and do you have a prenup or not. Uh, but ultimately, no matter how you decide to handle your finances, I tell people you have to be on the lookout for red flags, right? Warning signs that fraud is occurring. And then if you see some of those, you've got to follow up on it. So for example... One red flag might be, we have a joint bank account. I always had the password so I could go log in online and look at what's going on in the account. Suddenly the password doesn't work. I ask my husband, what happened? The password got changed and he won't give me the password. Warning, warning, we got a problem here. And so that's the time when you follow up on it. What do you do? Well, if your name is on the account, you go directly to the bank, you get your own login for that account. If for whatever reason they say only one login is allowed per account, and you've already got one for your family, then go directly to the bank and say, I need copies of the statements, right? Do whatever you have to do to get access to that account and see what's been going on. Yeah. You know, I, um, I learned the benefit of hindsight. I, uh, I was married and I got divorced and then I got remarried to my current wife who I've been with now 21 years. And we, we went into the relationship with all of our finances separate. We do have a joint account, but we both have access to it. And, you know, I, I get paid through my business. I, I'm a, I'm a quote unquote employee. I have a, a, you know, payroll goes into my bank account. My wife gets paid from her job and it goes into her bank account. And then we look at the bills and we say, okay, you're going to pay this one. I'm going to pay this one. You're going to pay this one. I'm going to pay this one. And we split it up like that. And everybody feels good. Everybody's happy. Everybody in their mind has their own money. Now, Tracy, explain to people who are listening, people who are watching that even though that makes me feel good, really, I don't have my own money and she doesn't have her own money. We just have our own accounts, which makes it easier if anything happens. Is that true or false? Well, that is true because, you know, you're earning your own money, putting it into your own account and she's not seeing anything of what's going on with that money. How does she know what your money is going for? So, so there is, you know, there is potential for conflict there. But the other thing that I was thinking about as you were talking about your process is this process works great for you. But there are so many families where there's only one wage earner. And so, right. you know, to, to, there isn't separate money in that case. And you've got one spouse who really is in a position of much less power. They're not earning the money. Many right. times they're not even in control of the finances. Now, when I was growing up, my dad was the breadwinner. 
My mom stayed home with the kids, but my mom handled all the family's finances, which I thought was just great because she got to see where all the money was going. Yeah. So, you know, that that is kind of the situation that the divorce money guide really speaks to more so is there probably is one party uh, with with much less power financially who isn't in the know and is in need of getting more information about the finances. Yeah, you know, that that you raise a good point. So we we also have we have a household budget and um, you know, when we decide who's gonna pay what and where it's gonna come from, she has access to the accounts that are in my name and I think I have access to hers. I've never I've never looked at them. I think she gave me the password a while ago, but I haven't I haven't spent any time I mean, you know, as long as the bills that, that are supposed to be paid are getting paid from that account you know if she's making more money and she wants to spend it god bless her go for it but um you know i think that transparency is important because you want to you want to know where all the money is going um tracy talk about what so you've seen a lot of crazy things what have you seen that surprises you when it comes to a couple that's getting divorced and their finances I think really it's just the lack of information that one party has. And I say that because I'm just so proactive in my own life and I always make sure that I'm so informed. And of course, everyone's not me, but I just, you know, people are really trusting um, and they're, they, they just, you know, feel like, well, our bills seem to be paid. We're living a nice lifestyle. I don't really have to worry about it. But unfortunately, so many people get divorced. And when you get to the divorce time, then you're like, what the heck has been going on? I thought we had a bunch of money. Now all of a sudden, there's no money left at all. There's there's no retirement account or there's no investment account that you thought there was. Yeah. What about the, you know, we we did a thing too now that I think about it and I, and I advise all my clients to do this. So we have like an in case of an emergency list, right? And we have it. Uh, we have it. You know, in a in a secure place. It's uh, it's online, pass protected. A printed copy is in a safe deposit box too. And it's all the account numbers, all the phone numbers of the institutions. Um, if we have a representative there, what the representative's name is. That includes like life insurance, all of the you know everything you can possibly think of. We have that all in a list somewhere that's secure and that's and that's safe and that. We both have access to. In fact, we've asked our relatives, our older relatives to do the same thing and they don't have to give it to us, but tell us where it is in case something happens to them and we need to, you know, we need to take care of their affairs. What is your advice to to couples, you know, where the marriage is in good standing? What's the best way to handle that list? I mean, sharing that information so that if the spouse who handles like in your case, it was your mom who paid all the bills. Like if something were to happen with your mom, was there a list somewhere where your dad could go and, you know, call and, you know, make sure that the water bill was paid that month and, you know, the life insurance where they could where he could access that and that sort of thing. What's your advice to people about about that type of information related to the money? Well, that type of list is genius. I mean, it's what everyone should have. Um, and especially I think about today with all the online access to accounts, everything that's being set up with automatic bill pay. If all the passwords are in your spouse's brain only, um, or or if the passwords are in a um, password protection program that you can't access, there's going to be trouble, right? So, so of course, um, I do, you know, love the idea of having that list. Again, if I go back to, however, the couple who has a power imbalance or who maybe has already conflicts surrounding money, it's going to be really difficult. 
uh, to get the other spouse to put something like that together, right? Yeah, I mean, I we did it in our case. We did it. We lived together before we got married. I guess we lived in sin before we got married, and um, you know that was part of the condition of us moving in together. Was listen, in case something happens, here's here's where you know what what I did back in the day. I just set up like a like a a word doc and put it in a password protected Dropbox account. The very first time we did it. And I said, look, if you want to put your information on here, that's fine. This is all my information so that if anything happens to me, you know, you can access it. And of course, she put our stuff on there. And now we have a more sophisticated system because we we just our life has gotten more complicated as we had kids and whatnot. So we have a more sophisticated system, but it still runs on that basic principle. All right, Tracy. So tell us about the uh, the divorce money guide. And if you're if you're interested and you want to you want to check it out, go to divorcemoneyguide.com. Tell us about the Divorce Money Guide. What is it and what prompted you to write it? So it's an online handbook, 10 steps, as user-friendly as possible with instructional videos, worksheets, checklists. No matter how someone learns information, I have it for them. And it takes them through the process of collecting their financial documents and getting them organized and then looking at them sort of like a forensic accountant would look at them to try to figure out if there's any missing money. And the reason why I created the Divorce Money Guide is because I was frustrated at the number of people who had suspicions about the money but couldn't access forensic accounting services, right? It's expensive. It costs thousands of dollars to bring in a forensic accountant. And sometimes all the person has is just a bad feeling in their stomach about what's been going on with the money. They might not have any concrete proof. So this is a way at a very low cost relative to a forensic accountant to give them some guidance in how do you get your finance, financial documents and what do you do with them? All right, great. So give us, give us one of the steps, share one of the steps with us that you're, that you, that you particularly, you know, that you're particularly focused on. Um, I'm not sure that I'm particularly focused, but one of the steps is get, getting your tax returns. So some people have copies of their tax returns at home or with their accountant or maybe online with TurboTax or something like that. So you can probably pretty easily get your tax returns in hand if that's the case. Other people don't have them. What would you do? This step takes you through how to get those tax returns. I literally walk you through the IRS's website, how you could go online, get a login, access your tax records, and get verification of exactly what was filed. And here's the cool thing. Even if you do have tax returns in your hand, you'll still want to go to the IRS website and get that verification so you know that what's in your hand is what was actually filed with the IRS. And so it all sounds like scary and intimidating to get what we call them the IRS transcripts. Um, but I walk you through, you know, written stuff. I actually have a tutorial video where I do a screen share and show you exactly where you're going to click and what information you're going to get and how far back you should go and all of those kinds of things. Well, that's terrific. That's really great. So this is a practical guide for how people can access the information they need to really determine whether something's fu- something funny is going on. Have you, have you seen anybody who is just completely, uh, there's, there's always, uh, well, here's what I'm getting at. There's always a tell. In my opinion, there's always a tell. There's always something that someone close to you will know if you're hiding something, whether it's the fact that you're not supposed to eat, you know, meat because you have high cholesterol and you just went to McDonald's. You, I walk in the door, my wife knows, hey, you just had a quarter pounder with cheese 
and you told them to hold the pickle. I can tell. I just, just the look on my face will just give it away, right? So have you ever come across anyone who was so good that you were, you were actually surprised that you found what you found? Like, was there anyone who was just such a good con artist that they had their attorney fooled, they had their spouse fooled, and yet you found this pile of cash somewhere? Well, so here's the thing. For me, when someone is so put together and so perfect about all of it, then I'm suspicious anyway. So I would say I most often don't get surprised. Uh, I'll also say that there's almost always a tell. So step three of the guide is all about red flags. So, you know, you have a spouse who is suspicious about the money and they're not sure if they're just being paranoid or if there really are like real signs that a forensic accountant would say, haha, that could be a red flag of fraud. And so I walk them through all sorts of red flags. We've got the red flag quiz where I ask a series of 25 questions. Have you ever noticed any of these five things in your marriage? Um, or how does this work in your marriage as far as taking care of the finances and things like that? And so what I'm really trying to get at for people is whether you're being paranoid or whether your gut feel is correct. And I'll tell you what, most of the time the gut feel is correct. I think people are pretty good at admitting, eh, I'm just really hacked off at him because we're getting divorced. And so I'm assuming the worst versus the people who are like, mm, I've had a, I've had a gut feel for a while and I've seen these couple of things here or there. What do you think? So we're going to help them assess that so that they can confirm whether or not there really are some of those warning signs. You know, uh, a question just came up in my mind because I've seen it in a couple of uh, a couple of divorce cases with uh, friends. What? How do you how do you handle how do you value the pension that somebody may be getting? Like, let's say they're uh, they work for a state agency or or a municipality, right? I had there was one situation with uh, with somebody who's a friend of mine and the spouse was uh was a you know a civil servant for a big municipality and had advanced through the ranks and had done really well and they were getting divorced and this person was two years away from retirement and all this person cared about was protecting their protecting their pension right they they were willing to give up almost half of everything else but they wanted to keep the entire pension because they felt that they had been working in in the job a certain amount of time before the relationship so they were they were entitled to it do you get into that as well will you will you be able to figure out like would you study the state pension system and figure out what that should be worth so that the attorney could ask for equitable uh, compensation on the other side? I do not do that. There are experts who do that all the time. So like the pension thing is all they do. And they'll look at exactly those kinds of things that you're talking about. You know, the person was working in this job X number of years before they got married and, and they earned whatever kinds of credits. And so, yeah, they'll do all of that because it, it does get really complicated. All right. So where across the divorce spectrum, where uh, where does uh, Tracy fit into the process? So the process begins and the attorney goes through and you sit down with your attorney. And I would I would imagine if I'm, I'm thinking back to when, when I had to do this, you fill out these documents, these financial disclosures, basically swearing under oath. These are all your accounts and everything. And after the attorney gets that stuff back, is that when you get the phone call or do you get the phone call even before 
and you know you ask the person what they think the other person should have what part of the process do they bring you in so i can be brought in very early i can be brought in to help uh prepare the disclosure for one side because that financial disclosure form is going to have to be prepared for both sides i will say typically i'm brought in much later in the process and and oftentimes much later than i would like to be brought in because if i can get in early i can help spot some opportunities um, some documents that should be asked for before they have a chance to disappear or be altered or things like that. And so earlier is always better, but I will say typically I'm brought in much later in the process. Now, let's say that I'm an attorney and I'm representing, oh, I don't know, let's call him Sneaky Pete. And Sneaky Pete wants to wants to stash some cash, right? Can, can Dave Lorenzo, the attorney for Sneaky Pete, hire Tracy and say, hey, Tracy, what's the best way for us to insulate these funds? Or is there like some kind of a some kind of a thing that pro- prohibits you from doing that? I'm not prohibited from doing that. I would not. Uh, I, I wouldn't do that kind of engagement. But the type of engagement that I would do is the one where Dave says, hey, Sneaky Pete's wife is saying that he hid money. And Sneaky Pete says he hasn't hid money and we need you to come in and work up the numbers and bring forth the proof that there isn't hidden money. So I, so I uh. can be on the other side of it, but it's, it's you know, more of a defensive posture. We got to be really sure that Sneaky Pete didn't hide the money if we bring you in then, because is that then, well, if the attorney hired you, that's not discoverable then, right? So they can't, the, the, the other side can't call you as a witness if the attorney hired you. Right. So I'd be a consulting expert until such time that they disclose me to the court and then I become a testifying type of expert. And so I have had plenty of cases over my last 25 plus years of doing this where I've come back to Dave, the attorney for Sneaky Pete, and I've said, Dave, you're not going to like what I have to say. But aren't you going to be glad that you found out now? Here's what I found. Sneaky Pete has hidden some money. Here's where it is. Here's how much it is. You should fire me before I write a report. Yeah, you should fire me and settle the case. Right. (laughs) Fire me and get that other side on the phone. Get this case settled because Sneaky Pete doesn't know what he's doing. (laughs) Uh, So good. All right, Tracy. So... Uh, tell folks again about the Divorce Money Guide and who is it for and where they can get it. So the Divorce Money Guide is for anyone who's involved in the process of divorce or even thinking about divorce and you need some answers about the money and you are, um, you know, just interested in getting to the bottom of that. Um, and, you know, I really say knowledge is power. And so so the product is really for those who want to take back some control over the finances, get themselves educated about their family's money. Again, even if you don't think that there's fraud, but you just haven't been in a position where you've been involved with the money and you want to know, this is for you. So divorcemoneyguide.com to get your copy of the online 10-step handbook. All right. That's great. So Tracy, if somebody has a corporate matter or a corporate engagement, what's the best way for them to for them to reach out to you? Do you want them to email you? I can give out the email address if you want people to reach out to you if they have a corporate engagement. You know, they can email me or they can call me. Call me is probably easier, right? Uh, so you can call Tracy at 312-498-3661, 312-498-3661. Or you can email Tracy. It's Tracy at sequenceinc.com. We're going to put all that information down in the show notes. So you can just click on it. 
All right, Tracy, now take a minute. I'm gonna give you a quick minute to think about three things that you think we should take away from our time together today. I'll give you a sec to think about that. I wanna remind people you heard the Sandrowski Business Minute at the beginning of our show today. If you wanna reach out to Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, you can do so by calling 866-717-1607. That's 866-717-1607. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, they're a CPA firm with a different perspective. We're also brought to you by My Revenue Roadmap Guide. So you're a professional and you wanna build your book of business. And you don't wanna use any type of bus bench advertising or billboards. You really don't know how Google advertising or SEO works. And quite frankly, that's probably a little bit too expensive for your tastes. Or you're a partner in a large firm and you wanna take your book of business from six figures to seven, and you don't have the ability to use online advertising or social media because your clients are in the business to business space. I'm gonna offer you an opportunity to get the same guide I use with my clients. Here's all you need to do. Go to revenueroadmapguide.com, revenueroadmapguide.com, enter your contact info, and there you can download the same business development guide I use with my clients. Now, I customize it for them. You can follow the steps in the Revenue Roadmap Guide and customize a business development plan for you. You can adapt it to your strengths. You don't have to do everything. You only need to do one or two things, do them consistently and do them well, and you will grow your book of business. So go to revenueroadmapguide.com, enter your contact info, download your free guide to relationship-based business development. It's my gift to you for listening to the show, for watching us here today. My guest is Tracy Conan. If you want to reach out to her, you can call her at 312-498-3661. Get your Divorce Money Guide. Go to divorcemoneyguide.com. That will help you find the money that Sneaky Pete or uh, Sneaky uh, Petra is hiding from you. All right, Tracy, what are the three things that we should take away from our time together today? First of all, trust your gut. So if you think something is wrong, is wrong with the money, Trust that and look into it a little bit. The second is be informed, very closely tied to the first one, right? Knowledge is power. I want you to get the information you need in hand before you make a divorce settlement. And then the third is save money. We didn't actually talk about this one yet today, but the Divorce Money Guide will help you save money in your divorce because you've got to get all this financial documentation together anyway for the divorce. If you pay your attorney to do that for you, to try to gather the bank statements, put them in order, try to get your tax returns, you're gonna pay by the hour. So if you use the divorce money guide and you know go through this process yourself following those very easy steps, you're gonna automatically save money with your attorney, several hundred dollars, maybe even a couple thousand dollars, depending on how complicated your situation is. You know, that's such a great point. Think about, think about it this way. A- attorneys bend over backwards for clients that are well-prepared. I've seen it myself, having worked with over 600 attorneys over the last 16 years. Attorneys will go nuts if you walk in there with everything prepared. You're freeing them up to not have their paralegal tied up with all this administrative crap, and they're going to be happy to see you. If you're the non-compliant client, you're the client that you know, you never get anything done and the attorney's facing a deadline and they know that they have an obligation to represent you zealously, then they're going to have to step in. Yes, it's going to cost you more money, but it's also going to cost you in your relationship with your attorney. So why not be that great client? Why not be that client that every attorney loves and walk in there with all your information already prepared, you hand it to them and they're going to say to you, 
where did you figure out how to put all this stuff together? And the answer is going to be Tracy. Divorcemoneyguide.com. I love it. All right, Tracy Conan, that was great. I sincerely appreciate you joining us here today. There are going to be dozens and dozens of people that are going to get more money throughout their divorce process just because they listen to this show. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure having you here. Thanks for having me, and best of luck to everyone who's in the process of divorce. My friends, divorce never was so fun. I hope you enjoyed this show today. Tracy's a great guest. I want you to reach out to her. You can give her a call at 312-498-3661. 312-498-3661. Also go to divorcemoneyguide.com. All the information is in the show notes. My name is Dave Lorenzo. We're here with a brand new interview for you every single day. We'll be back here again tomorrow. Until then, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.